Now listen, our friends in the media will tell you, this Cruz guy, he can't win. You know, I think my favorite point that made this was the New York Times. Anyone here read the New York Times? No. All right, so actually, <laughs> some sensible people. Let the dulcet tones of Ted Cruz sink into those earbuds, folks. That, of course, was Cruz tailoring his pitch for president last weekend in Merrimack, New Hampshire, where it has all started again. The presidential sweepstakes, that is. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend I'm Peter Katzis at the WGBH News Studios in Brighton. And this week on the Scrum Podcast, we're checking in with reporters who have boots on the ground in states that can turn a candidate into an also-ran. Jennifer Jacobs is on the line from Iowa. She's the chief politics reporter at the Des Moines Register. Welcome to the Scrum, Jennifer. Hi, Peter. Good morning. If you, in a couple of sentences, could characterize Iowa politics for us, how would you do that? It's a split personality. We have a very Democratic faction here that's very liberal, and then we have a very active Republican Party that um, it tends to have a very conservative base, but it, we're split right down the middle, just about 50-50, the independents are actually the biggest, biggest voting block here, so the, and, and they really do turn one way or another. Okay. Listen, we also managed to get Boston Globe politics reporter James Pindle into the Scrum studio before he heads back to New Hampshire. Welcome, James. Thanks for having me. So is this a calling or is this a disease? Well, it's a, really a commitment. So when the moment that Iowa and New Hampshire go away, I guess so does my career. <laughs> there we go. You know, I'm struck. A lot of people in the national media, it'll it'll be several months before we hear this, but they will be very dismissive of not only the Iowa caucuses, but also the New Hampshire primaries, saying they're um, too rural, too white, unrepresentative. I will say I buy into the fact, I acknowledge the fact that they're rural and overwhelmingly white, but I do not think they're unrepresentative of the electorate. James, what do you think of this general smarty pants dismissal of Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, they're right on a lot of points, right? They are very white and they are very rural in a time when Americans are becoming increasingly more urban and suburban. The, the question back to them is, well, what's a better process? And at a time when money is increasingly becoming a bigger and bigger player in presidential politics or just in politics in general, what I love about these two states, uh, what's drawn me to them so much, is the magic that occurs in a moment between a regular everyday citizen and a presidential candidate. So for a person to become a presidential candidate, they're hanging out in pretty rarefied air, right? They're a senator, they're a governor, maybe they're a business person. They don't hang out with people like you and me. They're forced to actually talk to real people before they make decisions on going to war, before they decide make decisions on who wins and who loses in tax code. If we had, let's say, a national primary of 50 states on one particular day, it would be the image that we're trying to create of the politician. We never have to see the politician as a human being. Hey, Jennifer, let me ask you, when when a citizen interacts one-on-one with any one of the candidates, do they have any sense that they're 
a player in a larger national purpose? I've never heard anyone ask like a singular question about their own individual situation. I know for a fact that I always, the activists who go to these events, they study up, they really read the newspaper, they watch all the news, they really read all the news aggregators, they keep in touch. They're the most well-read. Sometimes I'm amazed at how much stuff they know about what's going on in current events. Sometimes they know more than me because I'm so busy I can't catch up. So they're they're very plugged in. Listen, James, let me ask you a question about something that I read in one of Jennifer's stories. She characterized the um, caucus-going electorate as being 36% very conservative and 43% conservative. How would you say the mix is in New Hampshire? Well, it's different because the big X factor that Iowa doesn't have are these independent voters, right? So um, if we accept the premise that Hillary Clinton's going to run and if we accept the premise that it's not looking like a competitive primary on the Democratic side, that may change, <coughs> Elizabeth Warren. Um, but uh, if don't, that... Don't bet don't, don't do that. Okay. Um, but if that doesn't change, then the independent voters go where the action's at. And if they go in the, in the Republican primary, that's certainly good and it changes that makeup that you mentioned. Uh, you know, one thing that people make the mistake of is they say, okay, I'm going to just be the independent candidate, uh, the candidate for independence. They re- reread history, like say, for example, Rudy Giuliani did that. Last time it was uh, John Huntsman. Um, you can't win New Hampshire that way. You have to have a bit of a hybrid. You have to have enough of Republicans, enough of those – the second block you mentioned of conservative, not really conservative, along with some electability to appeal to independent voters. That seems to be the sweet spot. But it's a very different primary electorate. Um, than in Iowa, where, you know, religious conservatives make up, I think you can correct me where I'm wrong, Jennifer, I think the last uh, exit poll of the Iowa caucuses showed something like 57%, right, were social conservatives. Is that right? I think it's about a third of, of the 2016 electorate from what our polling has shown. Of oh, the wow. likely 2016 caucus goers, it's about a third of that GOP electorate. But that's where, you know, people like Liz Nair and others get frustrated with with Iowans, it's less, the argument I hear is less about, you know, white and urban. It's more about just yes. anti-immigration reform and anti-same-sex marriage, and they're too sharply to the right, and there's too many Christian conservatives, and this is, you know, that is not reflective of the, of the country, and that's what what is frustrating to them. But Peter's right, it is about 36% who consider themselves, you know, for this, the most traditional conservative, and then 43%. Is, is is more middle of the road. But it, interestingly, in you know, in Iowa, the majority of Republican caucus goers either consider themselves center right or, you know, leading a little bit, you know, more moderate. So it's it's the even though we have been pinned as being a very Christian conservative state, that that really is just the minority of about a one third. Jennifer, let's I'm gonna ask you to split a hair, if you will. What would the distinction be between someone who is conservative in someone who describes themselves as very conservative? They are looking for someone who is very pure on the conservative issues, who is not a flip-flopper. Those very conservative people want somebody that really follows a conservative line. They, they It's not that they don't like compromise. It's just that they have certain opinions on certain issues, and they just don't want to see any veering. They don't want to see any wiggle room on that, and they don't want to hear any difference in opinion one day. You know, in a private setting, then in a public setting, they don't want to hear that candidate saying something different. Um, you know, they're also, the very conservative are more interested in the social issues. They really want to see same-sex marriage go away. They really want to do something about abortion. 
whereas those who are just conservative are more focused on fiscal issues. You know, they, they might be opposed to abortion and same-sex marriage, but they just, they're just not into fighting that fight right now. They just really want to turn the economy around and see, you know, jobs improve and that, and that sort of thing. Also, some of those very conservative people are really, you hear a lot of them talking about the constitutional conservative themes. You know, they're very, you know, it's all about civil liberties and, and, and that sort of issue. Okay, let's talk horse race now. If the election were held today or in the near future, let's say if the election were to be held four weeks from today, who would win in Iowa? Who would win the Iowa caucuses? Um, I would have to say Ted Cruz got a big bump from his announcement speech. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of interest from the conservative base about, about him. I would think Rand Paul would do pretty well. I'd have to say it's, and then Huckabee is always a sentimental favorite here. He just, he just, his art polling has shown that he remains strong. Oh, and then of course you can't forget Scott Walker. I would have a hard time saying between those four. But four you've isolated out. it to four. Mr. Yeah. Pindell in New Hampshire, four weeks from today, who wins? The polling is all tied. Like, so let's be honest about that. It's tied by about, tied between Jeb Bush and Scott Walker. And then Rand Paul has been kind of slipping a little bit. Um, but right now, you have to say Bush because oh. of the independence. Listen, I, I read in your um, excellent blog, big plug coming here, called Thank you. Ground Game, which is, kidding aside, a <laughs> very, very good thing to read. Um, you called Jim Bush the Zen candidate. What's that mean? Well, it means I'm very inarticulate on in how I'm trying to explain the experience of what Jeb Bush is like in person because he's such he's so different from any other presidential candidate uh, I've ever met in terms of the first time he comes into the states. I was with him in Iowa with Jennifer. Then I was with him uh, in New Hampshire, both for his debut trips. You know, and these presidential candidates tend to fit one of four boxes. One, they are the overeager person who's really studied and they really try to wow you, either with stagecraft or whatever. Second are the kind that really try to charm you. They want to know your kids' names, the name of your dog. Um, they want to create a personal relationship. Third, there's a kind of the aloof person, whether that's Mitt Romney or that's John Kerry who definitely goes through the correct paces but may not all be there and understanding what's happening. And then there's a fourth who just have no idea what they're doing and really wish someone would tell them how to do it. And Jeb Bush, you know, his brother, you know, when he came to Iowa in 1999, his first event in Atlanta Colonies, would wow you. He had every single member of Congress with him. I mean, he was definitely going to wow you. His father would definitely try to charm you and develop a personal relationship. But Jeb, Jeb was just different. And that's why I called him, the best way I could put it was the Zen candidate where he's very aware with what's happening. He's okay with what's happening. He's clearly on the move. Um, but my impression, and maybe Jennifer has a completely different one, was that he's very comfortable in his skin. He wasn't going to change his mind on, on policy issues where he disagrees with a base on Common Core or on immigration. He's, you know what? It is what it is. And if I lose, you know what? I have a nice life. And it seemed to be in, very zen about the whole thing. Jennifer, do you... Uh... Do you buy that characterization? Do you find it convincing? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think he's spot on. And there were people in Iowa, one guy in particular, who came to Jeb Bush's very first Iowa event of the 2016 cycle, and he said he was he was kind of dragged there. It was a fundraiser for a congressman, and, and this, this congressman was his man's nephew. And so he said, I'm only here for my nephew. I don't, I don't give two hoots about Jeb Bush. Well, then he listened to Jeb Bush speak, and he just thought he was very natural and very straightforward, and he, he wasn't this, you know, squishy moderate that, that everyone had been telling him that he is, and 
he came out of there with his eyes wide open and he said, I, I am very interested in him now. I went from being like, a, he's a zero on my list and now he's one of the high people on my list. And I heard that over and over. And it's not like Jeb Bush did anything particularly amazing. He just, he just stood up there and he kind of gave some awkward jokes sometimes. And he told a little bit about his personal life. And, and then he told a little bit about the issues and he answered questions. And he was just really straightforward, and, and he did seem very natural and very comfortable. But yet he didn't seem like he had anything to prove. He wasn't being showy. He wasn't being flashy. He wasn't being arrogant. And people just, they really liked it. I'm not saying that Jeb Bush won, every, won everyone over. And in fact, I don't think there's any chance that Jeb Bush wins the Iowa caucuses. But people were, like Jane said, they were surprised at, at his personality and how well he fit in with retail politics. Scott Walker. Um, can one of you explain his appeal? <laughs> well, I know from Iowans, he um, he had come down a couple times and given a couple speeches, and, and people just liked him. He, he's young. He seems different. He, he seemed like a little bit of a revolutionary who was able to thwart the Democrats and the unions and actually get things done despite this, you know, heavy odds. He really seemed to be you know, this big bulldog who just pressed forward with the conservative reform. And he's just, he's not your typical person. I would tend to really like the, the next new thing. And I know that that speech that he gave at the Freedom Summit really impressed people. He seemed down to earth. He gave a, you know, really animated, interesting speech. And, um, you know, he is from a neighboring state. People feel like a connection with him as a Midwesterner. And he also is really positioning himself as, is appealing to not only the Christian conservatives, um, but also the, the center-right folks, as well as the constitutional conservatives. He's trying to be everything for everybody. Okay. Yeah. And look, I mean, everything that Jennifer said is, is absolutely right. Look, this is what this is the person that conservatives project everything on. And they may have they may discover that in theory, he's amazing in reality. Maybe he's not. But here's a conservative who does what he says, who does what we want him to do, and he wins. And he's a governor. And those are the reasons why I think a lot of people are projecting these things on him. And that speech that Jennifer mentioned really propelled him in the national forefront at a time when donors are looking for sort of a conservative alternative right now to Jeb Bush. One last question. There are three key primaries. We have primaries and all caucuses, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Who will still be standing after South Carolina? Iowa and New Hampshire, maybe Jennifer disagrees with me. They, they don't pick presidents. They winnow down the field, right? So out of Iowa, right. traditionally, there are... Four or five, right? right out of, Four or five emerge from Iowa. Exactly. And then in, in New Hampshire, the, the, it gets narrowed down a little bit more. And then in South Carolina, it tends to be more decisive. But here's where money is different. If you, We saw this last time, and we're going to have it even more this time. If super PACs... You know, the reason they win out the field is if you lose or underperform, you can't raise money to stay in the race. But what happens if you're Rick Santorum and you, you know, do well in Iowa, but then you stumble in, in New Hampshire, you stumble in South Carolina, but you got one rich guy, or in Newt Gingrich's case, one rich person that keeps you in the race, keeps your campaign going, um, then you can stay in longer. And I think the key contest may not be Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. They may be in Florida, and they may be this sort of southern primary that may happen in the South, which could validate a lot of what Iowa chooses. Well, I would think there it would be Jeb Bush and maybe one or two 
um, alternatives, possibly Rand Paul, possibly Scott Walker, is, is how it looks right now. But it's possible that we have different winners in each of those first three states. Iowa's going to produce one winner. New Hampshire's going to produce a completely different winner. And South Carolina, theoretically, could produce a third winner. So that, that, that could make it pretty muddled. Okay, that's a good place to leave it. Thanks for joining me, James and Jennifer. Quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Jennifer Jacobs is the chief politics reporter at the Des Moines Register. James Pindell covers New Hampshire politics for the Boston Globe. If you like what you hear on The Scrum, please subscribe in iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, don't forget to rate and review us so we can continue to bring you more episodes. You can find links to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and past episodes of The Scrum on our website. That's wgbhnews.org slash scrum. Our team includes David Bernstein and Adam Riley. Our producer, Abby Ruzica. Special thanks to our engineer, Doug Shugatz, this week. I'm Peter Kadzis. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kadzis, K-A-D-Z-I-S. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.